Good evening and welcome to Left, Right and Center. I'm Vishnu Shom. We're continuing with our coverage of the World Economic Forum and what's happening on the sidelines of the WEF meet here in Davos in Switzerland on this very special program. Interviews with two key India leaders over here. The Minister Hardeep Puri talks to me about the concerns that India sees in the Red Sea and the ongoing conflict over there. We also discuss oil prices and the move to sustainable fuels. I'll also be joined by Ashwini Vaishnav. In our interview with Mr. Vaishnav, we look at India-made semiconductors and the future over there. Also a very special panel done with the Confederation of Indian Industry and Deloitte, where we look at the future of India's digital public infrastructure. We'll be joined by the chairperson of IBM, Arvind Krishna, the Minister Smith Irani, and a very special panel. All of this and a lot more right here on left, right and center. For the last several years, we've seen uh, India become very much a focal point, a point of conversation at the World Economic Forum in Davos. This time around, the WEF is looking very closely at the entire issue of sustainable development, green development. Joining us now, a very special guest, the Union Minister, Hardeep Puri. Thanks very much, sir, for being with us. We'll get to the entire theme of um, a green transition, sustainable growth. But I wanted your thoughts first on what is happening in the Red Sea and the potential impact to our trade flows. Uh, we've already seen attacks taking place. Are you worried uh, in terms of the impact it might have on our economy? Uh, Vishnu, I would have been surprised if you had not uh, opened with the Red Sea question. Oh, good. Because so I, I no, no, but that, no, no, it is you know, not only the right question. I think it's a, uh, it's a subject which is inviting increasing attention uh, a fair amount of concern but if I were to take that to worried I'm not there yet and I say that for good reason uh, first and foremost I think all the state players involved in this as against the non-state actors which are responsible for this uh, all the state players I'm not convinced any of them genuinely wants uh, to see a conflagration of the situation and break out of hostilities on a larger scale, number one. Right. There will be people who will be pointing fingers. It's not for me to make an assessment whether the non-state actors acted on their own or with some uh, uh, you know, feeling that they would be backed up by uh, uh, others. Right. But on the other hand, look at the converse. If you have to unleash Bedlam, then why uh, use one? There are other non-state actors with far higher degree of lethality right. who could have come in. My view is that any attempt to uh, disrupt or cause uncertainty, even of a perception variety only, in any of the sea routes where, which um, uh, are used by global trade is a matter of concern. Right. But at the same time, I think uh, there is enough maturity and wisdom around to be able to navigate, literally, and that word's a pun, navigate around this. I see that um, maybe some of the um, uh, players involved were not ready for the changes of a very far-sighted nature which were going to take place. Mm -hmm. For instance, rapprochement between the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel, for yes, instance. Yes. Between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia or others. Now, when this happened, I'm not saying that this is the causation. It resulted in some uncertainty. But what I would say is, today, none of the state system, and that I say with 39 years of uh, uh, practicing diplomacy 
behind me. I think no, it's in nobody's interest today. The global economy is in a very, it hasn't had a hard landing, but it's not a... a, a no, not you, a, you raised an important point, sir, when you spoke about, or you were referring to the Middle Eastern economic corridor, which we were very hopeful about starting in a finite period of time. Then the war in Israel uh, and uh, and Hamas has started out. Do you believe that that has now moved into the back burner no, indefinitely? No, 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 because no. of uh, equations in West Asia no, between I know, I know, say, Qatar and Israel, etc., etc. No, 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 but those equations have had fault lines even earlier. I mean, when the announcement of a Middle Eastern economic corridor were made, I don't think it was anybody's case that it would take place day after tomorrow. Right. You have to start up. I think all the basic infrastructure, the intent, everything is there. Mm -hmm. It will take a little time, but I think uh, when you have hostilities of this kind, uh, you know, uh, drone attacks, missile attacks on merchant shipping, yeah. etc., are taking place, you don't talk about these corridors then. But I think it's only a matter of time before uh, some serious introspection is done by all those who can influence, and I use the word influence to moderate uh, and um, help this, and I, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic. Iran is obviously a key factor. We have an excellent equation with Iran. We have for a very long period of time. And yet, uh, th there is evidence of the use of Iranian weapons uh, in the Red Sea, potentially even on the attack which took place on a ship deep in the Arabian I would, Sea. I would, I would hold judgment. They, your part about our excellent relations with Iran bilaterally are absolutely true. I think Iran uh, discussions are taking place. I think uh, the foreign minister was there. Yes. I think other people are there. And I think, as I said, I made a pretty strong categorical statement that I don't think it's in any state actor's uh, interest just now to allow this situation to spiral out of control. Okay, let's move on now to uh, an important statement that you made earlier on today when you said that we in India cannot give up fossil fuels tomorrow. It's going to take a period of time because there is a transition. It's not an easy transition. Um, what, are, what are your goals for India making that transition? How many decades will So, be? no, it will not take too many. You want um, uh, uh, energy atmanirbharta by 2047, all right? right? I don't believe it will take even that time. There are three things which are happening. One is our focus on domestic exploration and production is much more uh, uh, focused, much more comprehensive. I think one of our oil uh, majors, ONGC, um, uh, made a very just good find just yeah. three, four, four, five days ago, uh, 35 kilometers off the Kakinada coast in Andhra Pradesh. And I initially, I somewhat, I was a little... Um, uh, I wanted to understate it. I said we'll have 45,000 barrels a day by May, June. It's looking even better than that. So that is one. Secondly, our transitioning on biofuels has been a very impressive story. The setting up of the Global Biofuels Alliance will help that. Um, we are already blending 12%. We had a target of 20% uh, blending by 2030, which we brought forward Vishnu till 2025. Our stories on compressed biogas and all these areas are very good. Why I say that transitioning doesn't mean that you change gears in a moving car. I mean, you're driving at 90 kilometers an hour. You suddenly don't turn around and shift gears and say, now I will not use fossil fuels. I will use only, uh, uh, you know, green energy. Yeah. The green energy story is going to be helped by biofuels. The 20% blending um, uh, inhibition, I would call it a state of mind, because somebody told you that, you know, 20% blending may, you don't have to change any of the parts of your uh, automobile, you can use the existing part. Mm. But I think in Brazil has shown that the same manufacturers with a little bit of adjustment ticket. But the real story is green hydrogen. Exactly. Yeah. Now, green hydrogen, let me say, lends itself to success, Vishnu, in countries which have their demand present there, 
which will have the capacity to produce and in close proximity. A gas like green hydrogen, any gas, does not lend itself to travel. Yes. I mean, you cannot say you make uh, green hydrogen, let's say, in the deserts of uh, a country 10,000 kilometers away and then hope to transport. No, you can transport green ammonia, which we are doing. You're yes. making it, um, you know, Greenco selling it to Unipar in uh, Germany or for Singapore's new um, electricity plant. We are going to provide, uh, uh, you know, green hydrogen, uh, green ammonia going from India. Transitions, by their very definition, successful transitions, need simultaneous concomitant action. Whilst you're doing all this, okay, you're also ensuring that you don't, you don't become vulnerable to lack of availability. Because the three challenges you face are availability, affordability, and sustainability. No, but let's talk about affordability. Is that not a huge concern now that the technology is there? For green hydrogen to be viable in India and around the world, how key is it to get the price right? No, I, so that's where the And then there's the entire safety angle no, as well. The success is, lies in that. When I had a first uh, interaction with the uh, U.S. Energy Secretary, uh, Jennifer Greenhalgh, she started talking, and I was very new to this uh, job, one for one for one, which means what? One kilo of green hydrogen for one dollar for ten years. Yeah. Today, you've already brought the price of green hydrogen down to $3 in India, okay? Yeah. You have demonstrated out of the two requirements. One is very reasonably priced, clean solar energy. We've demonstrated that as a country, we can bring it down from $0.25 cents to $0.03. Cents. We've done that. Then you need electrolyzers. Now, what you require now is, let's say your import bill, I'm saying hypothetical, yeah. I don't know, is $120 billion. The price comes down from $3 to say $2.40. Would you not have to make a choice at that point of time? Instead of spending $120 billion or not all of it, part of it, I divert, divert that to green hydrogen. Right. You're reaching that stage. That's why I keep saying all your assessments about 5 million metric tons per annum by 2030, they're gross underestimate. You see, when you are going down a new system, that new system, you don't have any uh, experience. You are looking at what is happening in the rest of the world. And then you s set yourself modest targets. Because once you set a moder ta modest target, you will be insulating yourself from criticism yeah. that you didn't meet the target. Yeah. So all, all policymakers, and India is no exception, they will set a modest target and then do better than that. But I think the green hydrogen story in India today, foreign investment is coming in into that. Uh, land is being acquired, I mean, many of these companies, and today they are demonstrating that they are competing. Now, we don't have what is called the Inflation uh, Reduction Act, which uh, results in, what, several hundred billion dollars of state funding being provided. But, you know, somebody said, you know, why you should, as a India, criticize uh, 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 them. I said, not at all. I mean, if you have the resources to spend $400 billion on yeah. uh, this thing, you will do it. You'd, you're not going to be guided by my this thing. Yeah. What I would do instead is get my oil companies or my um, private sector and state sector players to take part in that opportunity, take advantage of that opportunity and contribute to the global green hydrogen yeah. situation. One final question. India and Davos, we are an outlier in terms of our GDP growth. Uh, it, the, the world's growth has been projected at what 2.9 percent. India is well above 7 percent. Right? 
uh, and this is what a mini India over here. Maybe not where we are well, standing I right I now, but, I but I this smell behind Indian us. food here. I say I smell Indian food. So well, I but that you can smell now in most parts of the world. But no, that but said, no, but no, more so on this but, minus but, but, fourteen. But give degree. us. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, give us your sense of uh, you know this uh, your, your conversations over here the sense of enthusiasm for India. Do you no, enthusiasm investments in India. There are three state governments over here. Well, you, you know, know I mean, state there are more than that. I mean, there are chief, two chief ministers here, as yeah, far as I know. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, look, uh, that has been on the rise more so in the last nine, ten years. What I see happening is, and I, as I started by telling you, that nobody comes here for uh, philanthropy or altruism. They come here because they seek, seek and see an opportunity, and that opportunity comes. I have had, uh, I mean, I had uh, eleven back-to-back -back meetings yeah. already in the morning, apart from my hmm. uh, formal session, and that's the same, uh, uh, you know. Uh, thread in all those. They want to invest. They want to invest, they want to partner, they want to do other things. And I think the initiatives that uh, the Honorable Prime Minister took, I mean, I just mentioned two or three of them, out of our 3.5 million square kilometers of uh, sedimentary basin, one million was a no-go area, we released it. Right. Then the, we, we didn't make uh, data available earlier, now we put all the data repository in the University of um, Texas in Houston yeah. for the world to see. Yeah. All the major players, there are five or six yeah. of them, they're all yeah. partnering our companies. Yeah. So I think that is the mean. And biofuels. Today, um, you know, there are, I, I, had, a, I had a meeting with the, um, uh, the chief of Cargill. Yeah. They yeah. $165 billion turnover. He wants to deal with the biofuels and biogas in India. In and India. he's already doing that. That is the new buzz. Minister, thank you thank very you, much Mishra, for God speaking to you. us. Thank uh, you very much. At the World Economic Forum meet, and certainly on the sidelines in Davos, Switzerland, artificial intelligence, the future of um, digital infrastructure rollouts, technology at so many levels, are some of the key issues being raised. We've got a wonderful guest with us, the Minister Ashwini Veshno. Thanks Hello. very much. Uh, besides being Minister, these are themes that genuinely interest you, excite you as well. One of the key issues uh, for India going forward will be uh, semiconductors. Um, and resilient supply chains, obviously. How is that key to some of our future plans? So, semiconductor is a foundational technology. Everybody here at DevOps is like, they are people, senior people who are really concerned about the resiliency of supply chain. Semiconductors go into practically everything that we manufacture these days. So, there is a lot of excitement about India's entry into the semiconductor industry. People appreciate the focus on talent that we have done. The industry leaders appreciate the focus on design that we have done. People say that the first few steps that India has taken are the absolutely the right steps. People are very happy with the progress of the Micron plant because within 90 days flat, the construction began. So that's, a, that's something which is giving a lot of confidence to the world, to the global semiconductor industry. Uh, from a geostrategic standpoint, this is also critical, isn't it? Because um, the availability of semiconductors has been limited to a couple of countries. We have a huge demand and we want to ensure that it is available for our industry when we need it. Absolutely. And that's why we have put so clear focus on developing a comprehensive ecosystem for semiconductors. And we have been uh, supported and helped by some of the topmost leaders in this field across the world as part who have become members of the India Semiconductor Mission. So that is giving us very good uh, and today the, the interactions I've had with the industry leaders, they believe that this is the time when you can take the next leap. The next leap is basically starting projects to design some of the key chips that are needed in today's world. For example, for telecom, 
for example for processor for example can you decide can you start working on your own gpu that these are the kind of inputs which are coming from the industry that shows the level of confidence which industry has on india and so this is something which india would be able to supply to the world not just our industry going forward absolutely indian designed uh, gpus uh, semiconductors um, uh, and, and a lot of that displays yeah. for example going out so it would also set up a huge ecosystem in india with the generation of thousands of jobs absolutely this is a global industry yes. what you design and manufacture in india can be used anywhere in the world and given the geopolitical uh strategies and constraints which people are feeling all over the world people have huge trust the global industry has huge trust on india and that's where prime minister modi ji's work on the foreign policy and the kind of trust he has developed across the world has really played out so that trust is very important so the issue uh, one of the key themes in davos this year is artificial intelligence So the question which a lot of people have back home certainly is that you know if there is more AI then it means that there may be fewer jobs or people will be retrenched how would you address this concern there are uh, two aspects of every technology that comes in there will be transitions in the industry basis the new technology so a lot of productivity gains will be there there will be lots and lots of complex challenges which can be addressed for example climate change for example new drug discovery for example disease uh, prevention for example getting earlier detection of uh, diseases all those things are for example agriculture so these are the things in which uh, ai can play a very positive role yes there will be other negative aspects of the technology like every other technology when it comes it will have what we need to do is we have to see how can we harness the positive things and how can we save our society and the country and the economy from the negative side regulation is important not just within india but around the world as well because when we talk about ai we are talking about extremely advanced systems uh, we are talking about potential dangers which we have not even foreseen um is this something that concerns you given the pace at which the technology is developing absolutely regulation of ai is today a very important topic discussed everywhere in practically every forum globally there are concerns about copyright there are concerns about the content which is getting created there are concerns about concerns about racial bias there are concerns about deep fakes there are concerns about identity theft so these are the concerns around which regulation is getting built getting developed um we are part of the global uh thinking process we chaired the gpa which is basically a body of uh, like uh, a very large number of almost 28 countries are part are members of that and our thinking which balances innovation and regulation has been widely appreciated and widely acknowledged you spoke about deep fakes i'll just touch upon it it is a huge concern the prime minister has personally worried about this um how is the legislation that we are now pushing out and the rules that we are now pushing out designed to ensure that people are protected that's what you are basically intending to do at so many levels whether it's children uh, uh, public faces anybody else the idea is to protect citizens absolutely and uh, for that multiple things have uh, been done so far uh, within the uh, it act and the rules under it there are provisions which can help us uh, prevent any identity theft we have also had lots of workshops with the industry with the platforms and the platforms are taking responsibility but i think they need to do much more than this 
they need to deploy technologies where defects can be detected and there are technologies available today they need to deploy those in good uh, good quantity and good frequency um, time has come when the platforms should start taking responsibility for what they are publishing the way uh, the uh, print industry involved the way the newspaper industry evolved similar structures are needed in the uh, similar structures are needed in the social media platform industry also so what is the timeline for the benefit of our viewers that you have set uh, whether you know i mean whether it's twitter whether it is uh, you know any of these uh, platforms to say that look youtube facebook that you have to now get this uh, your act together people need to be protected now you need to take out what is fake we have to do it today we cannot be living Why with the delay if the technology exists so that's where the social media platforms have to play a bigger role and they are we are we are kind of continuously pushing them i also think that maybe time has come when we need a new legal framework for this because the legal framework right now we are working under is uh, the it act and we had started the uh, process of drafting the new digital india bill and of course it requires lot more consultation lot more uh, work with the industry and other stakeholders so we will be doing that and uh, hopefully after the new government is formed we should come out with a full fledged new digital regulation on this when we speak about india's own digital backbone obviously security and and um, and, and privacy is key to all of that yeah. when you meet people over here and we talk about the india story how is this an important aspect that is covered that you know privacy is key to anything that we do absolutely and people really appreciate our dpdp act because our framework is very different from the two other extremes where basically there is one extreme where it's purely laissez faire right you do whatever you want to do uh, there is another regulation which has practically killed innovation and uh, absolutely created a structure which is okay everything is controlled uh, our framework is a framework where innovation and regulation are highly balanced and that is being appreciated all over the world i also hear a lot of uh, questions here in uh, davos about uh, the development of technologies and people are highly interested in the way our telecom technology has been developed the i see keen interest from many countries who want, who would like to import it i also see a lot of uh, interest on the economic growth the growth story is something which people really are very keen to understand and have had multiple sessions by now where prime minister modi's vision and the way he has managed the economy the way he has brought the economy out of the covid uh, difficult period all those things are highly appreciated and the growth story of 6 to 8% consistent growth rate moderate inflation that is being uh, highly that is highly appreciated here Uh, india like any other major economy is um, a potentially a victim of cyber attacks these are external factors um, or lots of uh, you know there's the dark web out there a lot of uh, actors who are present is this something that you know you are very actively working to defend we've seen for example power plants in the past be targeted etc etc then the, you know there's that concern on data being leaked so could you share with us a little bit about what we are doing there's continuous work uh, going on in that field uh, we have a structure at the national level where uh, threats practically running into millions we are successfully able to thwart them 
you are success, successfully able to uh, stop them. And at organizational level, lots of initiatives have happened which are very effective today. We need a lot of uh, change in behavior at the user level, which basically means some basic hygiene stuff and taking that extra care which is needed in today's world. A final question, uh, put on your hat as railway minister now. You had an interesting uh, conversation with what, Swiss Railways yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> and this had something to do with the pace of, of railroad construction, rail, uh, rail line construction. So tell us a little bit about that. So I visited the Swiss Railways control center yesterday and uh, had a lot of interactions with the top management. Um, they are really, really excited at the pace of railway construction in India. What is the rollout of Kavach now in India? What percentage of, say, passenger trains or goods trains or routes are covered by that? See, the entire world moved to automatic train protection in 1990s. The governments of those days, they never had any interest in getting the new technologies. It's in 2016, for the first time that we had a automatic train protection system approved, 2016 we did the first trials and it's a very very uh, the system approval process is a very meticulous it's called SIL 4 level SIL 4 so where you don't permit a permit a single error in thousands right. of uh, operations right so that kind of uh, uh, process happened 2019 is when the certification yeah uh, got done yeah and 2020-21 were basically covid years and now we have uh, now we are right now implementing it on 1500 kilometers mm -hmm. and uh, very soon we'll be taking out the next uh, project for 6000 kilometers all right well wonderful thank you so much minister for uh, you know sharing your thoughts on, on so many issues it's been a an interesting uh, WEF and Davos for all of us uh, visiting from India thank you very much for thank speaking you. to us thank, thank you sir Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much uh, for being here with us today. We've got a fantastic panel to discuss a theme which is very, very closely associated with the India growth story. Um, it is uh, the story of India's digital public infrastructure. Um, it's a story where there's been profound transformation affecting the lives of more than a billion plus in India. It's a story where India's experience, our digital backend, our infrastructure, and our professionals believe that there is promise of extending this technology to several other parts of the world. This is something that was discussed at great length at the G20 process as well. For those of us uh, who may not have been to India or um, uh, may not be aware of the situation in India, we are increasingly an app-based society. And it's not just private apps, but wonderful government apps which add to the ease of living. They add to the notion of empowerment. Uh, apps such as Aadhaar, DigiLocker, DigiYatra, multiple banking services, which uh, operate now exist across the country on a fairly robust 5G network, uh, which is actually being scaled up substantially. Joining us uh, in this conversation, Smriti Irani, the Union Minister of Women and Child Development. Thanks, ma'am, very much for being with us. Uh, Ardhanesh, the President of the Confederation of Indian Industry. Arvind Krishna, the Chairperson of IBM. Romal Shetty, the CEO of South Asia uh, of Deloitte. R.K. Singh, the Secretary of the Department of Promotion of Industry and Internal Trade uh, with the Government of India. 
uh, Chandrajit Banerjee to my left, the Director General of the Confederation of Indian Industry. I'd like to go across first to the Minister, Smithy Irani. Uh, Ma'am, you know, you speak so passionately about empowerment. You speak about women's rights. But when we speak about India's digital transformation uh, and the digital uh, infrastructure which exists, how is it ultimately about empowering a billion plus in our country? I think one of the greatest examples of empowerment and bridging the gap was witnessed when the pandemic hit globally. We are a nation which was for decades in the vaccine line. The fact that India's inherent capacity to innovate frugally, to deliver to beneficiaries the promise of good governance was in some way juxtapositioned digitally and the fact that digital democracy can deliver timely so and justly so was most visible during the pandemic. That we in a country when the world's back was to the wall could manufacture vaccines, deliver it and the delivery was tracked digitally 200 billion doses and that apart that we extended with a sense of humility and with our promise to serve large aspects of humanity to 160 nations the pharmacological success of India was I think resolute and resounding across the globe but more so when we speak about the tenets of democracy how has digital India delivered? This year, 945 million Indians are eligible to vote. But when they go to vote, they will go with their bio-authorized cards, which will help the officials identify them. That after the last vote is cast, it is computed through electronic machines and declared in just three days. Tell me a more vibrant democracy in the world that delivers electronically or digitally democracy itself. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Krishna, let me come to you next. You know, the minister very passionately speaking about uh, digital transformation and, and, and uh, democracy through uh, the digital prism which exists. How much of this can actually be taken outside? What are some of the experiences which you feel can be translated into something substantial in other markets? So two, two aspects to that. First. I absolutely agree with the Minister in terms of the empowerment it brings to all of the people as well as the growth opportunity it brings. Let's first talk about the services side. So if I look at just the pandemic, to stick to that example, during the pandemic people were working remotely, people were working from home. If the digital infrastructure did not exist, that meant that we would have had 10 to 20 million people out of employment and unable to work. I'll give you our experience. We have tens of thousands of people in India, 98% productivity through the entire pandemic, through the worst of it and through all of the remote working that had to happen. Without that digital infrastructure, and it's more than just a telephone line or a VPN or a remote PC, it meant that they had to be able to function from home. So all of the apps, all of the delivery, all of the e-commerce allowed and enabled that to work. That, by the way, can be measured in the hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of uh, productivity and in terms of GDP contribution towards India because of the DPI. The second is the opportunity that I believe is going to come, and you're right, it was discussed during the B20, I think it will go faster maybe in another year or two, but people are looking at the low cost, 
the fact that half the world's digital transactions are now happening over the UPI system in terms of volume and at a cost that is 1% um, that which other countries are seeing. And that is something which people are looking at now and saying, can we build such a system? By the way, it's more than just payments. People think about it like that. It is taking out and making sure that the policy and the intention of the government can be met when the money flows directly to the intended recipient. That is something which countries all over the world struggle with and which can be brought to bear. So two sides, export the actual service out of India, so a true meaning of the word globalization here, and two, take what is done and export it to the rest of the world. Ma'am, would you like to just come in on that point uh, which Mr. Krishna spoke about? Digital banking and empowerment, the fact that uh, money actually gets to people who need it most, there is no middleman or, or person in the middle, uh, that the entire system of, of rollout of funds, which is so critical in different parts of our sector, is seamlessly done. I think what, uh, to just supplement what Mr. Krishna said, can you imagine when we make a promise for good governance, and as he said, the intended beneficiary gets the benefits directly from the treasury, and those who have had a layered disposition for the lack of digital transparency have benefited far too long, and unjustly so. So in our governance experience, we actually could weed out a hundred million such cases and save lakhs of crores, billions of dollars from our treasury. And that is why, irrespective of the challenges that the pandemic brought, we were in a position not only to bring about policy reform, I think Secretary DPIT can speak better on it, 63,000 hindrances to businesses, globally, not only locally, were taken away so that uh, there is a very, very substantial policy reform which was underway. So India was fighting the pandemic, India was engaging in reform, and India was performing digitally to ensure that our populace is protected. But at the same time, we did not lose opportunities to engage globally. We were never shut for business, even during the pandemic. Romal Shetty, um you know, you've looked very closely at the India stack, India's uh, digital infrastructure, as it were. Um, there is also, and there has to be talk about scaling it up. Uh, there has to be talk about sharing it based on, on the experiences, but as significantly on securing it. Um, data privacy is so critical. On these three points, how do you see the India story going forward? First is just to, I think, the, the, the kind of benefits that it, you know, I, I just want to take one example of, GSTN and FASTAC. Just in six years, what's really happened is before GSTN, a truck in India would drive 250 kilometers a day. Now it drives 500 kilometers a day. Last year with FASTAC, we used to collect about 80 crores a day. This year it's going to 200 crores. The transparency has really made an impact. But what's also impacting the environment is that the time of the toll has gone from 40 to 20 minutes to 47 seconds. That is 17,000 crores of fuel saved. And this is only going to dramatically increase. Now, just one bit of thing which impacts so many things, businesses from a logistics perspective, just the, the time and of course, a little bit of road rage as well, I think. Uh, coming to the point of scaling up, I think <clears throat> this is one opportunity where if on the DPIF there is the reach outreach to rural India, to every particular point, you know, the last mile, with digital literacy, will actually help even more. The second bit is also how do you take it to other countries 
Because my view is that this is something, this is an innovation that is an incredible innovation. People talk about software services that we've always been extraordinary, but this is a real true product that India has built. And I think it is, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, and India has also talked about the fact that how can we be the repository of all these DPI best practices. The Prime Minister has actually released it to everybody to use DPI. So allowing each country to do its own thing, all right, customize it, uh, I think would be a better way to scale it up as well. And the DPDP bill, which has come in, because for it, I think the whole thing on Davos has been on AI. You collect the data, that's when AI can actually work. So the DPDP is actually a very good bill that also then protects the end user. So the security of that has also been covered extremely well. You had a point to make, ma'am? I think just to uh, complement what Roman has said, we need to contextualize that digitally our services are not delivering only for business, but also segments which are building our social infrastructure. Just to contextualize that position, we have 265 million children in our K-12 systems. We have 41 million youngsters in our higher education systems. We are adding 35 million more seats to our higher education capacities. That being said, only digitally, as of March last year, we've had 5.5 billion learning lessons only and only digitally. We are a country which hosts 12 billion plus QR codes only on learning. So when I talk about the digital vibrancy of India, it is not limited only to profit. And when Roval talks about the act that protects privacy, to supplement it as to how much of data after protecting the privacy of our citizens can be available through our experience in government. I would like to highlight here we have over 600,000 data sets that is made available by the government for industry and the development sector so that you can build your experiences on it. Mr. Dinesh, let's talk now about profit. Uh, and let's talk about uh, Indian companies leveraging our uh, digital backend to become more competitive. Um, how do you see that happening? Is it happening enough? I think, you know, to add to what Romel said, if I take the cost of doing business initiative, which I think has been the strong focus from the business and the government side, I think it's a significant leap forward. In fact, I would call it maybe the largest focus of the digital journey has been on two friends. One is the logistics cost which he spoke about, but the second is the infrastructure itself, the spend, how it is tracked, and I'm sure uh, RK Singh will further add to it, that is where companies were investing both from business perspective as well as from, I would call it, competitiveness perspective, get the visibility of it across the, across the starting of the build to the end of the build. And from the data visibility, I think it's the best in class because just imagine a good which is moving from say, Chennai to Delhi is being tracked even before it leaves Chennai and is visible to the end user all the way through, which again I think is non-parallel as far as any country is concerned. So coming back to company's perspective and I would call it industry perspective, it is just that we are at the cusp of this journey and I think the journey is very exciting. We can go to very different levels just talking about cost reduction, the 17,000 crores you mentioned is on fuel, but if you look at the visibility and what it is providing for ease of doing business and cost of doing business, it will be four to five times that. Let me share a, a, a tiny little story. I have a little house 
uh, which I've built, uh, it means the world to me, right up in the mountains at an altitude of 7,000 feet in the state of Uttarakhand. It's right on top of a hill. It's surrounded by an oak forest. We get the best views anywhere of the Nanda Devi range. I am connected by 5G in the middle of a forest on top of a hill in, in an area which is not even a village. This is how far we have actually managed to take our 5G services. Um, and it's, it's BSNL, which is a, a part of the government, which actually does this. It's a specific technology that they've got and they're increasingly mastering for use in mountainous areas. So that the last mile connectivity we are talking about really functions. Which brings me to my next question to Mr. R.K. Singh. Sir, this digital backend, the India stack that we are talking about, is entirely based at one level on the rollout of 5G or 4G earlier on, 3G prior to that. How do you see this progressing? Um, how critical is it for us to build up this infrastructure? Uh, India has rolled out 5G uh, services across the length and breadth of its country. Over 700 out of our 750-odd districts already have it, perhaps the fastest uh, rollout in the world. We also have some of the lowest data costs in the world. And as a result of this, we've been able to roll out the services that we mentioned. Our digital payment transactions in real time are 46% of the world's digital payment transactions. Every street vendor has a Paytm or some other digital payment mechanism. It's also enabled us to roll out online services from the government directly to the citizens not only a direct benefit transfer to farmers and other citizens, to businesses through the credit-linked schemes, but also to a great extent we've ensured that uh, from uh, the, the Prime Minister's uh, vision really has been that uh, we've uh, done a lot for ease of doing business. We need to really move on to ease of living for the citizens. So every aspect of a citizen's life, whether it is a birth, when he's born, the birth registration, the death registration, the online uh, water and uh, uh, power connections, all of these are now available online in India across almost every state in India. Ma'am? Um, I will take up from your experience on a mountain amidst a forest uh, and then give you a scenario of WhatsApp in Bengaluru. WhatsApp uh, has, has had an experience in India where half a million metro tickets are booked only on WhatsApp uh, for metro and uh, the IT professionals in India. Uh, Instagram and WhatsApp, uh, I've heard and uh, I think industry leaders like Rommel and Dinesh Ji can supplement it. Uh, they have small businesses advertising to a value of a billion dollars only on small so-called social media facilities. And I think that apart from big businesses, which speak about the digital infrastructure, the skill set that we have, if I look at the input cost, even from a perspective of rentals, our rentals are 60% lower than Europe, 50% less than the rest of our own region. So not only is it a win-win in terms of the infrastructure and the skill sets, but the overall operational costs of doing business in India has reduced significantly. So while Mr. Shetty spoke about the cost of movement, I think if you present the India case on behalf of all such inputs, you will see we are a great place to do business in. Uh, so let me come to you next, uh, Mr. Banerjee. Can you share a couple of examples of how India's digital public infrastructure has, uh, has transformed, you know, the corporate environment, Indian companies? 
So, you know, we've heard about the corporate, we talked about profit, but one point I'd really like to pick up is how it's affected a large number of businesses, the small, medium, what our honorable minister was speaking about. See, we look at the numbers, 50 million uh, merchants today, today uh, connected. And that's a huge surge. Uh, one sees that that's really uh, UPI really getting um, the surge within. And we are talking about a billion odd transaction by 26, 27. Uh, so which is a per day, which is a phenomenal achievement to go to. And you look at the way the street vendors are using it. You will look at the way uh, it's, it's happening uh, with the SMEs, with the households, uh, the interbank, the peer-to-peer, merchant-to-person, uh, merchant uh, so to say. So all of that uh, leads, is, is also leading to a large number of innovations. So uh, you talked about apps. So, so many of them today come up, which gets hooked onto it. So, and, and the best thing of all of this is uh, we see the Indian government and the DPI, uh, that DPI is being offered to the world free of cost. Which is, uh, which is an example to share with the rest of the world, which also has a huge implication on business if you're offering to other parts, other, other regions and continents. Uh, okay, and just for the benefit of, um, of our guests over here, I was busy punching away at my uh, digital backend uh, uh, services to show you something which we were talking about. This is called DigiLocker. Now, I rely on this extensively. Most of us, if not all of us in India would have it. I have my Aadhaar card, that's my national identity card. If I lose it, it's over here. This is, it's a legal document. I just click on it, I get my Aadhaar card. If I need to show it to anybody, I can show it. I've got my COVID vaccination certificate over here. I don't need to carry it. This is what the minister was referring to. I've got my booster dose over here as well. It's also subsequently linked to my passport because that was a problem during COVID, people couldn't travel. So this was then digitally linked. You don't need any piece of paper. My driving license is there. My PAN verification record, that's if I pay my taxes or not. Uh, that's, uh, that's there as well. The registration of my car is there, etc., etc. When I, uh, when I retire, uh, hopefully not too far away, uh, I've got my provident fund details. Now, this is a legal document. It's protected through three areas of security. There's an OTP, there's a password, uh, and then there's, there's a basic registration every time that I use it. Roman, we would, wanted to talk a little bit about security. When we talk about digital, how critical is that? I think security is the, the base for anybody to do business or any, any user to be um, confident that they can do those transactions. And I think the government pretty proactively uh, looked at uh, DPDP. And, and DPDP is actually fairly a comprehensive one. It's, it's take, it's, it's our own India bill, but it's taken different aspects across the world, uh, right? And ensuring that the business continues, but having the right amount of regulation. So there is a bit of, there is a significant penalty, of course, if there are breaches. But if digitally a citizen is confident that they can do a, a transaction and that is not going to be revealed to anybody else uh, safely, I think that is the most important of a digital economy. And I think the government has taken that uh, step. Uh, and even, I mean, <clears throat> uh, different people keep talking about Aadhaar and that, you know, whether they've hacked into it or not. Nobody's hacked into it. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a, it's a solid uh, thing and it's, everybody's trying to get into it, but I think they've, they've done a, such a good system. So, assuring security uh, is extremely important for the citizenry, for businesses as well. And, you know, the, 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 the whole thing around KYC, Right? Yeah. We, used to, we used to incur 500 rupees per KYC, now it's 3 rupees. 
right? And probably even lesser than that. But it also did ease of business. And for example, today I think the, the, uh, the ministers, like I said, I'll never uh, compete with her on statistics. She's got incredible statistics. But how the Anganwadi workers, for example, are monitored, how the Aadhaar is actually used, and how the payment is actually done regularly is, is actually an incredible thing. And I think, you know, she probably is, she, she's got some voice to give some new statistics. Um, I am grateful, Mr. Shetty, that you bring issues like nutrition, child health, and women's health to the table, which talks of profit, that you can do commerce with a sense of compassion and care, is a compliment to the leadership of uh, business in India. Um, just to contextualize, um, we run in India the world's largest nutrition program, 100 million beneficiaries, 75 million children under the age of 6, 25 million women who are pregnant and lactating. We service it with data every day being filed from 1.4 million nutrition centers, which we call Anganwari, by 2.2 million women who are working in these nutrition centers. That is the size of our endeavor, digitally. I'm amazed by the numbers that you have. Uh... It, truly something. Mr. Krishna, we, uh, Davos this year is all, is all about, even last year, all about um, AI and the future of AI. You know, we are talking about India's digital uh, public infrastructure. Uh, in the future, um, tell us how AI can actually help. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, look, I started uh, evangelizing AI in India about two years ago, and the B20 forum in which the CII was definitely a big uh, progenitor as well as a champion uh, really helped I think put that on the map. If you look at AI, AI is going to be a global force for good. Uh, one of the themes here at Davos is is AI equal to the steam engine and many of us believe that it is actually equal or bigger than the steam engine in terms of its impact on the world. So if you start from there the question is is India a participant? Is India simply going to be exploited? Is it a beneficiary? And I'm a firm believer that it is going to be a massive beneficiary. If you look at the demographics in the world right now, many nations have declining populations. So where is the workforce going to come that's going to deploy AI? I believe that the skilling that is happening in India and the digital infrastructure is actually a huge piece of what enables that skilling. I'll give you a small example. So this is small, not big. We were asked, could you help skill women in the extreme northeast of India? A place where there isn't a lot of physical infrastructure, a lot of people hesitate to go given some of the underlying political conditions. But using digital infrastructure, you can deliver that skilling there. Then you think through rural, then you think through tier 3 cities. So bringing together the skilling, the ability and willingness of people to learn, and the need for both the country and the world to do this, is going to get India to be in the forefront of AI deployment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to uh, thank uh, all of you very much uh, for joining us and Deloitte and the Confederation of Indian Industry for this uh, session. Um, you know, to give you an idea of what uh, India's digital backend is uh, and the future, uh, the opportunities which exist and how it is ultimately a force of empowerment at so many levels. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you.